Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Less than an hour ago, the state of California released a snapshot of what the coronavirus pandemic has done to the state's finances. And the numbers are bad. Surging unemployment and business closures mean the state is projecting a drop of more than 25% in both personal income tax and sales tax revenues, and a more than 20% decline in corporate taxes. Mix this all together, and we're looking at a $41 billion drop in state revenue compared to projections in January. This comes as the state spends more on health care to deal with the pandemic. We talked about these dismal numbers with H.D. Palmer, spokesperson for the California Department of Finance. We are dealing with the economic and revenue fallout of an unprecedented shutdown of the state's economy that's been caused by this pandemic is causing a dramatic decline in revenues because of personal income tax being lost associated with the closing of businesses and the record unemployment that we've seen as a result. All of those things are rippling through the economy. They're going to be rippling through our state revenues, and they're creating a substantial uh, budget gap that we have to close in between now and mid-June of more than $54 billion. I assume, you know, at the end of the day, looking down the road, this translates into real big cuts in real programs that people rely on. First of all, California came into this crisis in good shape. The governor proposed a budget in January that was balanced, not only next year, but in the three years after that. And in those record reserves, there's about $16 billion now that's set aside in the state's rainy day fund. To give you some perspective, the budget gap that we now have to close, that deficit of $54 billion, is nearly three and one-half times the revised balance of $16 billion that's currently in that fund. The governor has already committed his thoughts to Speaker Pelosi last month. He has recommended that in the next round of federal uh, relief legislation, we look at a big number, $1 trillion, to be able to address the dramatic shortfalls so that California and other states can continue as best we can during this crisis to provide core essential public services that that address public health and public safety. That said, uh, there are clearly going to have to be difficult proposals and difficult decisions that are going to go on the table. That's the California Department of Finance's H.D. Palmer. A sixth prisoner at the Terminal Island Federal Detention Center in San Pedro has died from COVID-19. And more than half of the facility's thousand inmates have tested positive for coronavirus, as well as 14 staffers. That makes Terminal Island, which is between the ports of L.A. and Long Beach, one of the most significant concentrations of coronavirus cases 
in the state. Meanwhile, a detainee in Immigration and Customs Enforcement custody has died of COVID-19. He was being held at the Otay Mesa Detention Center in San Diego County. This marks the first coronavirus death of an immigration detainee in ICE custody nationwide. KPBS reporter Max Rivlin-Nadler has more. Detainees were alerted by guards on Wednesday morning that a fellow detainee had died of COVID-19. This comes after a Monday hearing where a government lawyer said a detainee was in grave condition. Last week, a judge ordered the release of over 70 medically vulnerable detainees at the facility. But as of Monday, ICE had only released two individuals. Dorian Edgarsetto is an attorney who represents clients currently in detention at Otay Mesa. She says by dragging its feet, ICE is costing lives. I mean, there, there are many people who are at Ote Mesa Detention Center who already have release plans, who already have places to go if ICE just gives the green light, does the right thing, and lets them out. This is absolutely preventable. Um, this person died unnecessarily. Immigration and Customs Enforcement has yet to confirm the death. The detention center, which is run by the private prison group CoreCivic, currently houses 132 ICE detainees who have tested positive for the virus. For the California Report, I'm Max Orlin-Nadler in San Diego. There's been much talk recently about whether America's supply of beef and poultry is threatened as workers in meat processing plants test positive for the coronavirus, forcing those facilities to temporarily close. KQED's Alex Hall reports on what meat suppliers in California are saying. Cattle ranchers and others in the beef industry say you might see changes in the types of meat available in grocery stores in the weeks ahead, but not because there isn't enough to go around. Dave Daly is a fifth-generation cattleman in Butte County and chair of the California Cattle Council. There's no shortage. There's, There's lots of meat. Our problem is the processing piece. Over the last few weeks, some of the country's largest meat processing facilities have closed temporarily because of concerns about worker safety. The challenge is, is we have very limited processing facilities to get that to the consumer. And so I think of this as a bottleneck, which was already pretty constricted. There's very few processors in the United States, let alone in California. Cody Nicholson-Stratton, whose family runs a dairy in Humboldt, says as meat producers adapt to the so-called bottleneck, consumers might notice a shift in their options. The brand you want to buy might not be available because possibly that plant is shut down temporarily. There might be a different cuts than you're used to. Nicholson-Stratton says that's because producers are moving their products around and shifting distribution from places like restaurants and schools to supermarkets, an adjustment that will not happen overnight. For The California Report, I'm Alex Hall in Fresno. UC San Francisco is launching a statewide effort to train 20,000 new contact tracers. These are the disease detectives who connect the dots between people who have COVID-19 and the people they've come into contact with and may have infected. Individuals who might have a particular knack for this job are librarians. KQED's health correspondent April Domboski explains. Lisa Fagundes usually works on the first floor of the main San Francisco Public Library. After almost two months at home, she really misses managing her sci-fi collection. I've been having a lot of withdrawals of not getting to see new books every single day and like touching them. It's like a, it's like a disease. <laughs> now, as a contact tracer, she's combating another disease, COVID-19. She says librarians like her are really well suited to the work. First, they're curious. I was like, holy crap, that's epidemiology 101. It's going to be awesome to help, like, tracking the virus. This is fascinating to me. And they're good at getting people they barely know to open up. 
because a lot of times patrons come up to you and they're like, oh, I'm looking for a book. And they don't really know what they're looking for or they don't know how to describe it. Librarians have to coax it out of them in a calm, non-judgmental way. It's the same with contact tracing, asking people about their health status and history. Like a lot of open-ended questions um, of trying to get people to feel that you're listening to them and not trying to like take advantage or like put your own viewpoint on their story. It can be a delicate process. To learn how to do it, Fagunda sat in on hours of online training sessions, like this one. Hola, Ricky. Habla Lucia del Departamento de Salud Pública. In this demo, contact tracer Lucia Abascal calls Ricky Martin, someone who recently had contact with a coworker or family member who was diagnosed with COVID-19. Ha tenido en los últimos tres días fiebre. She asks if he had any symptoms in the last three days, like fever, difficulty breathing, muscle aches, dolor muscular, or chills. Then she explains that he will have to stay home for the next 14 days to prevent spreading the virus. She offers help getting food or any medicine he may need. Before the pandemic, San Francisco had four people doing this contact tracing work. Today, they have more than 100. And now the state has given UCSF $9 million to expand the reach of these virtual academies across the state. Through July, they plan to train 3,000 new contact tracers every week. For the California Report, I'm April Dimboski. We've reported a lot on all the California industries laying off employees. But companies in Silicon Valley are actually hiring, and they're hiring a lot of people. You heard right. It's a good time to be in the market for a mid-level white-collar job in web development and tech support, as KQED's Rachel Myro reports from our Silicon Valley desk. Shirley Dang was laid off in April when the Palo Alto-based startup Earnin gutted its marketing department. Stable is like a relative term. Now, Dang would prefer to work for a bigger company. She owns a house in Hayward with her fiancé, and he's still working, but the mortgage could become a concern in about six months. A lot of good companies that I might want to work for or envision myself with are holding off on hiring right now. So I know like across the board, like tech companies have hiring freezes unless it's a very technical role where it's like an engineering or developer. The numbers back up Deng's assessment. Experts say this economic downturn favors giants with the cash reserves to wait out a revenue drop or pivot to arenas with more potential for profit. So, for instance, Facebook, which has said it plans to hire 10,000 people this year, wants a bigger piece of the online video market, which is exploding while most of us are stuck at home because of the pandemic. Now, as we've reported on KQED, Silicon Valley employees Employers often split their payroll between full-time employees with bennies and contractors, which is why it makes sense to check in with Hayden Brown, chief of Upwork, an employment platform for white-collar gig work from home. And so we're seeing a lot of activity around web development, around video production, technical support is a big one. So there's a lot of activity where people are you know, trying to deploy, install, and maintain technical systems for their business. But there are skeptics who worry that what we're witnessing in Silicon Valley is a temporary uptick before bad times settle in. Yeah, it certainly seems like an odd time to try purposely to hire new people. Why? (laughs) Why not just wait? Rachel Massaro directs research at the Silicon Valley Institute for Regional Studies at Joint Ventures Silicon Valley. And it's possible that a lot of these data points, a lot of the indicators that we're looking at will have a lag time and in a few months we'll 
get a better understanding of the influence of the crisis. Right now, those Silicon Valley companies on the downswing, like Airbnb getting a quarter of its workforce this week, are taking a hit because what they do is directly taking a hit from the pandemic. But as the economy as a whole collapses into recession, the current winners in tech may not be able to sail above the fray for long. For the California Report, I'm Rachel Myro. And that is the California Report for Thursday, May 7th, a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from Paint Care. Ideas for storing leftover paint to keep it fresh and tips for using it up can be found at paintcare.org. Eric and Wendy Schmidt whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems, and Earth Justice, a national nonprofit law organization fighting for the right to a healthy environment. Earth Justice, because the Earth needs a good lawyer. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts.